0: Previously on the Sick Invite Podcast. Yes, she changed my life with that sentence. <laughs> we could do a whole episode about that, but she. Um, this it, is the
1: part of the episode where Kayla tries to turn it back around no, to her. But
0: it's. <laughs> you are now listening to the Sick Invite Podcast with Kayla Herb and
1: Ricky Grimes.
0: Hello, my name is Kayla Herb,
1: and I'm Ricky Grimes,
0: and this is the Sick Invite Podcast, a storytelling show about all ailments. Small, chronic, or temporary, the sick invite provides an inclusive space for you to share your story. What is wrong with
1: you? I'm doing good. I had a great uh, Thanksgiving. There's nothing wrong with me today. I'm, I'm feeling well. And how are you today?
0: God, my toenails are almost Oh, off. with the
1: toenails.
0: <laughs> We're at 99%. Almost there.
1: Uh, uh, did you paint them yet? No. So they're not 100% yet,
0: right? I can't paint them because I got a fungus. Everyone knows
1: about the fungus. <laughs> Everyone knows everything about the toes. It's the toe invite podcast. The people want to know. Nobody wants to know, frankly. Unless you want to make a whole episode about it. No. Nah. It's, in, it's intro fodder. This show is brought to you by KaylaHerb.com, where knit blankets, custom quilts, and other homemade items are available for purchase and custom order.
0: We got a promo code for KaylaHerb.com until the end of the holidays. One word, sick invite, all caps. You get a discount on all pre-made items. What
1: do you consider the end of the holidays? Is that New Year's Eve, or is that
0: hmm. New Year's Day? Well, all the gift-giving holidays. All well, what does that include? You know, I, I will include belated gifts. Why don't you put a date on it? Let's just say till the end of the year. All right, there you go. Do us a favor and take a screenshot of our show and share it to your Instagram story. That kind of stuff helps us a lot to get followers and get more attention on your stories.
1: We are now on Patreon. For $3 a month, you can get early access to our episodes, behind-the-scenes content, 10% off KaylaHerb.com, and much more.
0: Please subscribe to our show, comment and review. Follow us on Instagram at The Sick Invite Podcast and tell your friends. We also have some merchandise available on TheSickInvitePodcast.com including our What's Wrong With You shirts, mugs, stickers and buttons.
1: Okay, um, so I got a word from Klaus. He was—he uh, got me a new microphone, which is why it sounds much better on the recording today. Um, he, I got it in the mail. Um, but then he was upset because he said that he, we could have got a better one on a, on a Black Friday deal after Thanksgiving um but we didn't so we had to fa- pay full price which uh, you know will come out of go to his paycheck i suppose anyway um so he also wrote to me he was wondering how like it, it, how do we know all of these people that are on the show because it seems like it's it's like strange that we went like what kind of high school did we go to that all these people with different illnesses uh were on the show that like you know what i mean hmm.
0: well we do um pretty much everyone that's been on so far is either friend, family or acquaintance that we know. So yes, what kind of high school that we that we go to that all these people have all these issues. The 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 point of our show is that literally everybody has something wrong with them and we want to normalize being abnormal, I guess you could say. So we, we just want to remind you all that everybody has issues, and that's the point of this show. I didn't go to some school where there's just an influx of disease and illness and disability. Yeah,
1: there's nothing abnormal about it. This is the whole point.
0: Yeah, all very normal. So if you have any interest in coming on our show, please send in your story. We do have a little waiting list, um, but we will get everybody on at some point. On today's show, we have Victoria Matos. So, Victoria, what's wrong with you?
2: Um, I actually have multiple sclerosis.
0: Now, what is that exactly?
2: Okay, so multiple sclerosis is a, to get technical, it's a demyelinating uh, degenerative disease, but most people don't understand what that means because it's very scientific. Um, Essentially, what it is is that my immune system is attacking my nervous system and is eating away at the protective layer on my nerves.
0: Now, is that permanent once it starts to eat out of, away? Can it grow back or regenerate or is that nerve permanently damaged once that happens?
2: There's some cases in which it grows back, but for the most part, it doesn't. Once it starts, that's it. I have no myelin anymore that's the protective layer Mm -hmm. so it creates um lesions in my brain Um, they look like holes and my nerve short circuit basically
0: so what does that mean for your body because when you the first time I heard of multiple sclerosis was actually from my mom because she's a big fan of um Ozzy Osbourne and his family. She used to love that show. And um, Jack Osborne has MS as well. And I remember he was on Dancing with the Stars and he was having a flare up and his one foot wasn't working because of something that happened with MS. Um, So he was trying to do the dance pretty much with one foot. And that was one of the tasks that they had that day. Is that, is it usually a mobility issue or can it affect different parts of your body as well?
2: So MS affects different parts, um, anything that has to do with your nervous system. So it can affect your legs and how you move them, such as Jack Osborne. Um, it can affect your eyesight. It can affect your balance. It um, can affect how you pee and when you pee. <laughs> wow. Um, Anything that your nerve controls, which is everything, it impacts. Wow. It just varies person to person. Not everyone has the same symptoms.
0: So how did you figure out that this is what you had?
2: So I'm considered a pediatric case. Most people find out that they get it when they're 20 to 40, um, mainly in their 30s. I found out when I was 17. Wow. It was midterm week, my senior year of high school. And I wasn't feeling very well. Something was just weird. I don't know how to describe it. I was feeling a little lightheaded. And I thought it was that I didn't eat all day. So I was like, oh, okay, like I just, I need to eat something and I'll be fine. So... I had gone out with my mom and my sister, and we got, went to the mall, and we got Auntie Anne's, and I felt decent. Then after we went to Target, and I got lightheaded again, and I lied down on the floor in Target. Wow. And told my mom, we have to go home. Something's weird. So I went home, and the day after, I stayed home from school, because everything was just, weird i didn't feel right Mm -hmm. i didn't have any symptoms at the time it just wasn't normal but then i started throwing up which wasn't normal for me either Mm -hmm. so i started throwing up and i went to CityMD, and they told me that i had vertigo and an inner ear infection so they gave me some medication and they sent me home but then I got worse. I stopped being able to get out of bed without throwing up. I couldn't eat or drink anything, not a single drop of water, or I'd start vomiting. So we went to, we to Southside Hospital. And the doctor looked at me for five minutes and said that I had a stomach bug. And my mom said, absolutely not. There's no way she has a stomach bug because I was with her on Sunday and we all ate Auntie ants together. So if she has a stomach bug, we'd have a stomach bug. Mm-hmm. But he said, no, 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 it's, it's a stomach bug because I've seen three people like this today. So they gave me one bag of IV and they sent me home wonderful so a few more days went by and I still wasn't eating or drinking anything about a week had passed now and I couldn't stay awake anymore Um, I was sleeping all the time sleeping like 20 hours a day probably (laughs) I couldn't hold a conversation with my parents so my dad got really worried and said I needed to go to the hospital sent me to Good Samaritan And at Good Sam, they also said that I had vertigo and an inner ear problem. But a nurse called my pediatrician and said that something wasn't right. That that diagnosis made sense. But there was something more to what was going on. So they admitted me and... The neurologist actually said that I didn't have anything neuro wrong with me he said
0: I was depressed well was that symptom based he was saying that or did they run scans or anything yet or he just was like oh no it's this has to be your stomach uh
2: it was not I guess it was symptom based it wasn't based on scans because we still hadn't done scans at this point Mm -hmm. he did some regular testing um, in which made me throw up. <laughs> but he said that there is no way that it was anything neurological. And he was pretty pompous about it. Needless to say, we never saw him again once we actually got the diagnosis. But after that, they did scans just as a precautionary to let me go home. Mm-hmm. And my day doctor had asked me if I wanted to go home before he left for the day. And I said, no, that I wanted to stay in the hospital because I had the IV. So I wasn't throwing up anymore. Mm -hmm. I was able to eat and drink and I was okay. And the next morning is when they found my lesions. So then they ran scans, more scans with dyes to highlight where my lesions are exactly. And after that, they did a spinal tap and then they sent me home and then they diagnosed me.
0: So that's a lot of steps and probably a lot of you having to advocate for yourself there. Because, uh, especially in the emergency room, if you're vomiting, they want to just like give you your fluids and move on to the next person. So, you know, like, being only 17 at the time. Um, I'm sure your parents were with you in the hospital. Were they um, fighting with with these doctors, like, insisting that it was more? Or were they kind of uh, just listening to what everyone had to say and taking their word for it? It seems like your parents knew it was more than just a bug.
2: Um, My mom definitely did. My dad was with my sisters the whole time, so he wasn't really involved in the process. But... My mom definitely was. She's a fighter. Um, And she knew something was weird. I don't get sick very often. So for me to have been consistently throwing up every time I moved for a week, it was something extraordinary. Yeah. So
1: what what was the time frame from originally feeling to the diagnosis? How much time was that? Do you recall?
2: So I would say... It's kind of rough. Um, It was about two weeks from when it started to when they first proposed that's what it was. But the doctor didn't want to give me a hard diagnosis. She actually sent me to a specialist. To the only specialist in New York that specializes in pediatric MS. And she happened to be in Stony Brook. So... That doctor was like, I don't want to say anything. This isn't my area of expertise. Please go see this other lady. Right.
0: Well, uh, I actually so. appreciate that when a professional can admit, like, I don't know enough about this. Please see this person who does rather than kind of pretending that they do and brushing it off and not addressing you properly. Um, but how convenient. <laughs> we have Stony Brook University right there.
1: Kayla, uh, before you ask, cause you're probably going to ask for the diagnosis, right?
0: Yeah, but you can ask your but question. Before
1: we jump to that, I just had a quick question. So in terms of the process that it took for you to figure that out, now that you've kind of been through it and, and probably, I'm guessing, learned more about it, is that a regular type of thing that people go through, like to get to those steps? Or is it because you were younger that made it more difficult for them to kind of pinpoint it?
2: I met someone in like a forum for people with MS, and she's about my age. She was diagnosed in the proper age frame of 20 to 40, but it was the same problem for her. Running around and doctors saying that there wasn't anything neurological happening, that it could be this and it could be that. So I'd say I was pretty on track, but they definitely didn't, it w- didn't even hit their radar mm-hmm. for something that could be wrong with me because I was only 17. Right.
1: Right. So when we say that's rare, how rare is it for somebody of a younger age to be diagnosed with this? Is that extremely that rare? Um, or
2: I would say it's extremely rare. Oh, yeah. okay. It's a very niche kind of specialty to be in. Yeah. Um, and is that because w- it doesn't happen.
1: Is that why they were so hesitant to make a hard diagnosis? Was it mostly because of that? Or is that how it always works?
2: That would be why... Mm -hmm. They didn't want to hard diagnose me since I was only 17 at the time. (laughs) Right, And maybe other things cause lesions that could have been that. So she wanted me to see someone more specialized in that field to make the final decision on what I had.
0: Yeah. When it comes to diseases like that, um, or autoimmune diseases, or things that it could be so many things based on your symptoms. When I was 19, I saw a doctor um, in the city, who was part of NYU, and at the time, he thought I had fibromyalgia um, because of my pain, and I was like, okay, so is is that what it is? Like, what do I do for it? He's like, I'm actually not going to diagnose you with that, because he said if I was diagnosed that it would, like, draw companies toward me to like try and put me on medicine that he didn't think I should be taking when I was 19 um oh, that's interesting which I, at the time I was like well can I have the medicine like is it gonna fix me um but he he was nervous he's like well if it's not what you have then it's not going to fix you no so we want to be extra sure um and then I ended up I was only seeing him because I was going to school in the city and then I came home so I never saw him again. And it turns out it wasn't fibromyalgia, but that could be another reason why. I don't know if I agree with that or if that's a th- normal thing or if that was just a weird doctor I had, but it, it would make sense if that's why they said the same thing to you. Like they want to be sure that this is what you have before they actually proceed.
2: There's also the point that I didn't present with normal symptoms. If you look up symptoms of MS, this doesn't even make the mark of something that they write down as notable. Vomiting isn't one of them.
0: What are the? So um, I was very odd. Yeah. What Um, are the typical signs?
2: Um. People get um vision problems, sometimes blindness, blurriness. Um, they get tingling. Um, in their fingers and toes sometimes they'll have a walking gait problem that'll lead them to seek out a doctor that's pretty much the big three but not
0: vomiting <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you were kind of lucky in a way that that one nurse was like no there's something else going on here um that she actually pushed for to you to get looked at further so this was all when you were 17 you are in your 20s now right um how are you doing (laughs) what kind of treatment are you doing or are you feeling well
2: um I actually feel very well now I get bad days for the most part I don't have too many symptoms but there are definitely triggers that make my symptoms worse. So I try to avoid those.
0: Think the triggers like what?
2: So heat is a big one. If I overheat, I'll feel very lightheaded. I want to throw up again. So when I go out in the summer, for example, I have to bring a cooling towel with me in order to cool my body temperature down. I also can't take baths Mm -hmm. i can sit in a bathtub for about five minutes before i have to get out or i'll pass out
0: so a jacuzzi is like your worst nightmare
2: yes pretty much pretty much
1: when you got that diagnosis till now and you're talking about kind of all the things that are effective and, and affect you more than other things How how did you learn all this stuff? Did they give you a handbook or did you have to do a lot of research on your own or how did that kind of work? Was it a lot of just trial and error or how much information did did you get?
2: I kind of wish that there was a handbook because there were many things that I didn't know and I had to Mm. learn as I went. A lot of them being my triggers, they pretty much, when I got diagnosed, said that my trigger was stress. That if I stressed out too much, That I would cause more lesions. And that's essentially what threw me into my first episode. My first flare was stress. They didn't tell me about the other ones. So heat is one. um, Cold temperatures. If it gets too cold, my body hurts. Um, And I also get very fatigued in the winter. More than a normal person does. And if I catch a virus, I get what's called a pseudo flare. So all of my symptoms from my first flare, all the vomiting and the inability to move, comes back.
0: That makes sense because I get similar issues. And I I also don't do well in extreme heat or extreme cold. I need the weather to be just right (laughs) for my bones to feel good. Um, But it, it is an autoimmune disease, so your body probably get so confused when you're run down because it's like attacking itself and then I I do the same thing I start to flare when I get run down or if I get a cold it's not just a cold for people like us it's we have to rest for days and days to prevent a major flare from coming I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand like they might give people like us a hard time if we have to call out because we have the sniffles which by the way everyone should call out if they have the sniffles nobody should go to work sick but they they might be like oh come on can't you like just power through and suck it up and it's like no we we need this rest you don't understand what my body is going to do to me if I don't rest today so do you take um medication for this or are you able to rely on just avoiding flares and triggers
2: I do take medication for it Um, I take a pill once a day and thankfully there's no side effects to the one that I'm on because the journey to find a good one was a lot and the medicine basically just slows the progression of degeneration it doesn't help my symptoms at all it just slows how how fast I'll mm-hmm. deteriorate.
0: Is there anything on the market to help symptoms? Or there is the study really just on preventing the degeneration, as you were saying?
2: So what's marketed for people with MS is just to stop the, de- the degeneration. But for symptoms, they'll prescribe you things like antidepressants and um, seizure medication. But I was allergic to them, so I couldn't mm. take them.
0: You said it was a long journey to figure that out. Are there a lot of different types of medication for this, and you had to find one that worked for you?
2: Yes. So there's, they're categorized into three different types. There's IV meds, there's injectables, and there's pills. I've done all three of them, and I've tried at least one in every category. So the first one I had was an injectable. And I was a scrawny, 100-pound, 17-year-old girl when I got diagnosed. And this injectable needed to be put into the fatty layer Mm -hmm. of your skin, except I didn't have one. So it would cause welts and bruising and burn like nothing else. I would cry every time I had to take my meds and I had to take it three times a week and every other day I was crying because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to take it so eventually I had enough probably went about four or five months with it before I said that's it I can't do this anymore so I spoke to my doctor and she was super chill with it she didn't mind and she switched me to an IV form and the IV form was fine, except it had high risk for this incurable brain damage wow. disease.
0: Which <laughs> preventing something yeah, that could there was cause high something. risk for this, so you had to be <laughs> tested. That's that seems um like it's what's uh, the opposite of helpful? Well, (laughs) well, Kayla and I
1: actually were just talking about this recently where um, you kind of have to do this balancing act of hierarchy of needs when it comes to the medications that you're taking. Like you have to like, I have to take this medication because it'll help me with this, but it might cause this. So I have to say like, what's worse, this or this? And then you have to kind of make that decision, that balancing act to do that. So did you get a lot of help? From your, phys- it sounds like your doctors are pretty nice about allowing you to try certain things or express how you were feeling about it.
2: Yes, my doctor is super helpful. She's the doctor that diagnosed me. Actually, I'm still with her, even though I'm not oh, pediatric. Great. Um, she kept me in her service, and she does see adults, but she just sees a lot fewer since her specialty is in pediatric cases. So I actually see her at NYU now because she moved and she's the head of the department for multiple sclerosis. She's everyone's boss. She's a cool lady. So could
1: I ask, <laughs> when you're a a pediatric case of multiple sclerosis, is that based on when you were diagnosed or it's only on when you're... So you said you're a pediatric case, so you'll always be a pediatric case of multiple sclerosis. Is that Am I hearing is that right?
2: Yes, because I was diagnosed when I was 17. So I will always be considered as a pediatric kid. And also because when they first did the scans, Mm -hmm. I had lesions that were active and lesions that were inactive. So what Mm -hmm. that means is when you take the scan and they put the dye in you, the ones that are currently bothering you will be a different color they'll light up is the term that they use versus Mm -hmm. the old ones that'll look darker and i had ones that were darker which meant they were older than my case that i was there for so i've had it for longer than i was 17 Mm -hmm. but we just didn't know
1: do you think back And does anything kind of fit with that now? Like even like prior to your original diagnosis or your original instance, does anything kind of retrofit into, oh, that makes sense why I was feeling like that. Or, oh, that, that makes a little more sense. Or you didn't really feel any sort of effects of it until that time you were talking about.
2: After the diagnosis, my family and I definitely did sit down and put pieces together. I was always very clumsy. I was always falling, always tripping over nothing, and they were always like, haha, Victoria, like, she's the klutz of the family. Right, and then right. we found out that I had this, and it was like, oh, wait a second. Right. Maybe not. Right. And there was also an instance when I was in 10th grade where my vision got weird. It, like, blurred out a little. Even with glasses, I couldn't see properly. Mm-hmm. And we went to the hospital, and they said everything was fine. And it only happened very briefly, maybe about three hours, so we just chalked it up to a freak thing that happened to me.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, th- I mean that's what all uh, me and Kel talk about. This is like all undiagnosed uh, issues, uh, chronic or not. You know, they a lot of the times if it doesn't re-emerge or if you don't get properly f- figured out, you just chalk it up to like you know, random thing. Mm -hmm. instead of or just you know an actual issue so when you actually got the diagnosis the hard diagnosis which i guess you got eventually did you have any sort of feelings of any particular feelings of what was your reaction to getting it the actual diagnosis was it happy sad or somewhere in between
2: i didn't care um believe it or not i just said oh okay like that. That's cool, I guess. And I actually got my heart diagnosis during MS Awareness Month, which was the f- funniest turn of events. <laughs> Didn't know it existed, but I found out because I got diagnosed during Awareness Months.
1: Right. So even when you found out, did you even know what that meant at all?
2: I had no idea that this was a thing that affected people until they told me. Mm-hmm. And my dad broke the news to me in the hospital because the doctors didn't want to talk to me and tell me. He was the one that told me and he's a big jokester. So what he said was, I had holes in my brain and I was like, you're lying. And he was like, no, you got holes in your brain, they're like the size of dimes. And I was like, you're joking. And he was like, okay. only for me to actually have holes in my brain so it it does seem
0: wild like you I feel like you'd be like well I feel like I'd know if I had holes in my brain but um so even after that like you say you didn't care you weren't scared or anything I guess because you didn't really know how damaging it could potentially be so have you gotten more scared or upset about the diagnosis as you've learned more about it over the years
2: I remember the day that I cried the first time about it I was in dance class because I took dance in high school and it was my first time back off medical leave being able to dance and we were doing leaps across the room Which I was always really good at them. And they were my favorite thing to do. But on my very last leap. My legs didn't catch me. So I fell in front of the whole class. And I got up and I cried. Because I knew that it was. Because now I have this disease that I'm aware of. So that hit me really hard. On a day to day. I'm not worried because I feel okay. Mhm. But when I have flares or pseudo flares or I'm feeling more sick than usual, I definitely do feel a lot more sad about mm-hmm.
0: it. Do you address your mental health with this? Like do you um go to therapy or do any types of medications to kind of get you through having a chronic illness?
2: I'm not the best person for that. No, I
0: don't, (laughs) in all honesty. Um, Not everybody does. I know that a lot of people that we've had on the show have done that. Um, But, and I I, I see this a lot, especially with people who do have a chronic illness, that they're like, don't feel like they're going through anything that bad, that they have to, like, they play it down a lot. Like, you were um, in the survey that I took. Thank you again for (laughs) participating in that. And, um, almost everybody felt that they didn't, they had to downplay their symptoms of their disability or their illness because it isn't perceived as bad, especially when it's an invisible illness, which you have. Um, did you ever feel like you're subject to stigma because of that? So I
2: feel I'm subject to stigma in two different ways. And it depends on the scenario. So I don't tell people, for the most part, right off the bat, that I'm technically disabled, that I have a disability. Because I want them to see that I'm very able-bodied before I let them know that there's this addition to me. I don't want them to look at me a certain way. So it's something that I keep to myself. Um, Except for relationships. In relationships, I'll tell whoever it is I'm seeing right off the bat. Because this is what you're getting yourself into. This is who I am. This isn't going away. This is a big part of me. But I won't tell the boyfriend's family until they've spent time with me because I don't want them to know on the other hand having an invisible illness I don't feel like I deserve things that people with visible disabilities do so if I'm on public transportation and I'm having a bad day I will not sit in the disability seating Because I don't want someone to tell me to get up.
0: Yeah, and and then I I think that's... Oh, go on.
2: Go ahead. (laughs) And I would take public transportation all the time. I was working in the city before. So I was taking buses and trains. And I absolutely wouldn't sit there. Because I didn't need an old person coming up to me. And telling me that I'm young. And I look fine. And to give them the seat.
0: Because I look
2: okay, mm-hmm. so and people a... will
0: say something. Uh, I, I I do the same thing, and especially when I was in college with the the bathroom, um, like the a lot of people didn't want to use the the wheelchair stall um, because they would save it in case somebody who was in a wheelchair needed it. But there would be times where I'd be like, I have to use that bathroom though <laughs> because I have a bowel disability um, but I would still feel uncomfortable using it like I'm not worthy of taking up that space that space is for somebody else who's worse than me and it's, it's a weird hierarchy of pain and disability that's in this community that I think there's good intentions obviously like you want to save the spot for somebody who might need it more but it is important to recognize that you do need it too Um, and that there should be more spaces available so that you both can sit (laughs) and use the space. Um, But it's interesting that you feel that way. And I wonder if, do you ever wish that people could see your symptoms or do you kind of like having the privacy of it being invisible?
2: It depends on the day. Um, I like it being invisible most of the time. But on my bad days, I wish it was more visible so people wouldn't feel like I was overreacting or that I was exaggerating in the way that I'm feeling. So, Because people s- will acknowledge something they can see a lot sooner than they'll acknowledge something that they can't see at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, you said that um, you know one person that you met through a um, support group do you know anyone in a your forum. family?
1: A forum, I think she said, right?
0: A for, oh, forum. I'm sorry. Um, but you, you had mentioned that um, the MS was new to you. But is there anyone in your family or friends that have a similar condition um, or similar disability? Or, or are you kind of was this entire situation new to you?
2: The entirety of this was new. People always ask, "Was there someone in your family that's ever had it?" And no. It's just me. I'm the only one. No one else has anything like it either. I'm the only one with an autoimmune disease. So I'm all by myself on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And they everybody always asks me that because everyone always wants to know what causes the disease that you have. And like, what are their chances that they're going to get it? Um, For me, you know, it sometimes it can be hereditary, but a lot of times it's not. In my case, they think that my Crohn's is caused by some environmental factor. um, But they don't know. Is it kind of the same thing with you? Like, there's really no answer to why it happened? It just kind of happened?
2: Yeah, they're not really sure. There's no real reason that you get MS. And there's no cure for it either. So there's speculation of... People in northern regions are a lot more susceptible to getting it. So I lack vitamin D because of it. And the person that I know that also has it has the same problem. Women are more likely to get it. Um, Hispanic women are more likely to get it as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just a combination of all of these things is what they're looking at. But there's no definitive answer
0: yeah I have the the vitamin D issue too I I thought that was a Crohn's thing but maybe it's just an autoimmune thing (laughs) in general um but I I learned about MS um early on too because when I was first um starting to have my symptoms I saw a nutritionist because I was very anti-medicine in the the beginning I was like I don't want to take anything you guys can't even tell me what's wrong with me why would I take all this medicine and She was like, no, you have something autoimmune. I don't know what it is, but if you don't get a grip on it, you're going to get several autoimmune diseases. Um, And I read that that was another common factor that like I, having an autoimmune disease, particularly inflammatory bowel disease, I have a higher risk of developing MS than other people. Um, And then in my brain, I was like, oh, well, I haven't gotten it yet. I must be safe, but I'm still in that age range where I could be developing it who knows Um, but she was saying autoimmune diseases they kind of like domino so you get one if you don't get a grip on it it just you'll develop more symptoms and you can get other ones too so her concern was for me MS or lupus Um, she talked about Lyme disease all these things so do they say the same thing to you have they ever mentioned like do you see a rheumatologist as well on top of your neurologist
2: I do not see a rheumatologist. I only see my neurologist. And I would hope that she would have told me if I was more at a risk to get something else. She
0: hasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, something she, I she might not know that much because she's not an autoimmune doctor. So she might not have that same knowledge. But, I mean, I was told by a nutritionist. <laughs> so who who knows? Um But I'm wondering if um, like in terms of your pain management and your symptoms, if a rheumatologist would have more answers for you on how to manage your body as a whole rather than what's going on in your brain and the lesions. Because she probably knows everything there needs to know about that, but she might not know about like your joint pain or your muscle pain. Like what other kind of symptoms do you have in addition to what's going on in your brain? So
2: I get I have a walking problem in which one of my feet don't come up all the way. So when I walk, I kind of trip over nothing. It's over air. It's so sad to do it in stores because people look at me funny, (laughs) but I have that. I have, sometimes I'll get really bad leg or arm pain. It feels like when you've worked out super hard and your body's super achy, but it'll affect only one arm or only one leg. It's never both of them, so it can't be that I've been walking too much because it's very localized. And then I did have a weird symptom a couple of months ago in which the left side of my back towards my shoulder felt like fire if anyone touched it Hmm. just a slight graze gave me searing pain so i had to wear i had to modify what i wore for a few months because anything too tight would rub me wrong
0: yeah
2: and it would hurt but my scan showed that i wasn't advancing so we didn't know what caused it
0: Mm mm-hmm now do you only get um Do you have to get a brain scan every time they think you're having a flare-up? Or can they, like, monitor this through blood work as well?
2: I have to do a brain scan every six months and every time something something new is happening with me.
1: Wow. Could you tell us how they do a brain scan?
2: Yes. So I have to go every six months for an MRI. And I yes it's every six months for an mri and they'll do a scan of my brain normally and then they'll do a scan where they add contrast which is the dye for it Mm -hmm. and then they'll redo the scan to find if there's any Mm -hmm. new lesions that light up and once every two years i have to do a spine scan so that one takes longer, that one's like an hour to do. And it's the same process as my brain. They're all in
1: the uh they're all in the small tube you lay down and they put you into a the tube or they're all kinda like that, or is there something?
2: Nope. That's it. Uh, for some re- some
1: reason I think if it's the brain it's like a different contraption, but it's the same thing for everything?
2: Yeah, it's the same oh, okay. <laughs> type of a machine and I lay in there for anywhere for 30 minutes to my longest was two and a half hours
1: jeez wow
0: it's Is not that,
1: i mean I, I i would think anyone would have an issue with that particularly i've never done it myself i know Kayla has have you You done an mris right
0: i've had an mri but i don't know if it's the same machine i had an mri enterography. um so i like whenever i see an mri on tv it's the it's like a tiny tube that your whole body goes into mine looked like the cat scan machine like it was still pretty open um it was a little longer than the cat scan machine but it wasn't like like i thought i was going to be in there with like the wall to my nose is that what you have to go through or is it pretty open now or they have the standing ones too i always pass that on deer park avenue have you ever done that one
2: i've never done a standing one um my mom said that standing's actually worse. <laughs> Because you have to stand still for an hour. Yeah, for like two two
1: hours.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They save that one for people that have claustrophobia and can't go into the normal one. It's not like to my nose, but it's definitely a pretty small space.
1: Yeah, it ain't comfortable. Right. Mm -hmm.
2: And then to add on to it, they put a cage. It looks like a cage over my head. Um, I have a TikTok to send to you that will show exactly yes. what this looks like.
0: But I'm thinking like a shark cage.
2: It's this weird contraption that they put on to help the machine run. But that does pretty much go to my nose.
1: But that's specifically because they're looking at your brain or thats that... Is that- something that everyone wears.
2: Is that I have no idea. I've never seen it oh, okay. put in doctor that- shows when I watch, and I'm always confused. Like, why do I have to wear this thing? But Grey's Anatomy, right. they never have
0: <laughs> this. What is this? Yeah, I never needed that for my abdomen, so I'm going to assume. Well, that's what I, I don't doing. know if it's something <laughs>
1: particularly for the brain or if it's uh, – nah, I, I don't know. I never, I never had anything to do with that. So wh- as you're going throughout and you're doing these different tests and you're doing these things all the time – have you, you mentioned that you were talking to somebody on a on a forum. Are there, are there, did you get in contact with different people that were similar, going through similar situations? Did that, something that, that happened?
2: So I didn't really contact many people because I joined when I was 18. So most people were like 60 years old talking about their symptoms and we couldn't really right, relate right, right. because. Right, right. I'm 17 and you're a 60 year old man with a cane. I don't, it came from (laughs) the disability, but I didn't have that symptom. So it wasn't something we could connect on. But this girl and I were a lot more aligned in our age. So I connected with her and we've actually met a few times. That's nice. We have our own little support group.
0: That's awesome. Well, not awesome that you both have this, but that you have somebody, especially since you were diagnosed so young. Now, because of that, does this, how did that affect your work in school going forward? Like you mentioned medical leave, is that something that happens frequently or was that kind of just when you were first figuring things out? So,
2: as far as school goes, I have to get special accommodations in college because of it so teachers professors are a lot more lenient about how they'll grade me and extend my due dates I also get separate testing when I was going to physical in-person school so I would go someplace else and I'd get time and a half in case for whatever reason I was having a brain fog day in which my cognitive thinking wasn't all there then instead of getting an hour for the test, I would get two and a half. For work, it's one of those things where, again, I tell them immediately. As soon as I get hired, I say, I have a disability. This is what it is. I'm a super reliable worker, but there are times where I can't come in. And when I say I can't come in, it's not because I'm doing something else it's that i physically cannot come and for the most part they're super okay with it no one i haven't had any problems with anyone so far
0: yeah i fa- i found the same thing that in terms of attendance once they know that i've proved myself that i am you're hiring me for a reason i can do this job um so far so good with between school or work uh everyone's been really accommodating but unfortunately that's not the case for everybody especially with things like like you were talking about brain fog I bring up brain fog to my job all the time I get it specifically after my infusions the next day I am like do not give me anything important today because I cannot be trusted with it and they they know to kind of leave that as a catch-up day for me and that I like you were saying the cognitive thinking I'm like I can't do anything that's going to require much thought today so just give me like data entry today and that's all I'm gonna do and that's been fine, and there's always, there should always be a way to receive a reasonable accommodation, uh, whether it's school or work, um, but I think a lot of people get nervous to ask for it. Were you ever nervous? or I mean, you said you bring it up right away. Um, do you, is that something you're uncomfortable disclosing at this point?
2: In work, I am very hesitant. I do it anyways because I have to. But if it wasn't so unpredictable, then I probably wouldn't say it at all. Because I don't want to come off as a flaky employee. I did have one professor in my first year of college, though, that was very rude about accommodating me. Which was crazy to me. She It was geography my first year my first semester and I had had a seizure of a couple months before so I had to do an overnight um what is that EEG that sounds right I had EKG? to do an overnight EEG so I couldn't come to class that day so I emailed her and I was like hey like I have a disability I have to spend the night in the hospital and I'm not gonna make it can you please send me your slides And she emailed back and she told me no. And when I went back to class, she publicly addressed the class and said, I've been getting emails about slides under no circumstances. Will I give you the slides to this class? Show up or ask someone else because I won't. And I was blown away. Needless to say, after that, I stopped caring about the class because it
0: turned me off mm-hmm but did you complain about her or
2: I didn't I'm really bad at advocating for myself in school mm-hmm. it's something that I struggle with a lot even though I have advisors because I have a disability but they always yell at me because <laughs> I don't advocate for myself in a school setting and they're mm-hmm. like that's what we're here for we're here to help you why don't you come get help when you know you need help. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. because I don't want to help. <laughs> I want to
0: be a normal student. Yeah. And it's it's also kind of embarrassing because some of these professors, like I had a very similar situation. I was in the hospital, midterms, I said, Hey, I can't take the exam because I'm in the hospital. Can I have a couple days? And she replied to the email, drop my class. So I was like okay so I dropped her class because I was like I'm not dealing with this I'll take it next semester but I and when I told my uh, advisor at the time she did the same thing like why aren't you advocating for yourself you're not going to do it all right I'm doing it for you and then they were there they were there to help me but I agree with you it's sometimes we don't want the help we just want to be normal but that's not really an option for us all the time
2: it's not. Um. It's something that I definitely struggle with a lot. Even now. I mean, I've been in college for four years, five years now. And I still don't advocate for myself at all. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a work in progress. Because I feel yeah, you... some teachers just don't listen. They don't care. They're very... Yeah. The deadline is the deadline. Make it or mm. get lost.
0: Yeah, and sometimes they'll be like, oh, well, in the real world, you won't get that kind of help. And you're like, actually, no, in the real world, at my current job, I do have the help. (laughs) Um, But it's, I I don't know why some people are so close-minded. I think a lot of professors in those situations, they think that they're getting bamboozled because in the past, other students have lied, but... What are the chances that every student that comes up to you is going to be lying about it? You know why? Why is it so hard to believe somebody when they say they're in the hospital? Now you were um, talking about it affecting your work in school. How about with your friends and family? Like, do you have? Do you ever get have to like cancel plans last minute with friends because of the pain day or because you're flaring? And do they ever give you a hard time about that, or are they pretty understanding?
2: I'm very lucky to have the friends that I have. They're all extremely understanding. They make sure that I'm doing okay. And some even ask me before um, she suggests to hang out, she'll ask me, What's your energy level at today? And she'll wait for me to respond. Well, specifically, she'll say, How many spoons do you have?
0: Yeah. Spoon theory. We love it.
2: I'll say, oh, you know, I have I have a good amount. And she's like, okay, do you want to go out? Um, so none of them have ever made me feel bad about what I have. And I think a large part is because I, I'm not sick all the time. Well, I'm always sick. But <laughs> I don't always feel bad. So for them, it's like, oh, okay, you know, she takes a couple of days. That's fine. She'll be back in two to three business days and that's fine (laughs) Right, right. so but they're really understanding i'm so grateful to have them
0: (laughs) that's awesome and they i like the way they view it that like you just you need the time to recharge and regroup and then you're back and you're ready to party um and I, i wish that more people were like that but i'm so happy that you have friends that love and respect your body enough to let you rest and that your job is accommodating school will work on we'll get you to advocate that way Um, but I definitely I learned so much from you today about MS I really didn't know enough about it except for that dietitian who told me I might get it
2: (laughs) yeah there's a lot of things that I didn't know until much later on I had to go through the process and I learn new things every day Mm -hmm. um Such as the coronavirus vaccine. If it's a live vaccine, I'm not eligible to take it. Mm -hmm. Something I never had to consider in my life before. But here I am thinking, oh, there's this new vaccine coming out. Can I even take that? Is that something that will make me feel better or will make me feel
0: worse? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. And that's why it's so important for everyone else to get it about protecting everyone around you not just yourself thank you so much for coming on the show this has been an awesome episode I've learned so much and any other questions Ricky?
1: Uh, no I think this has been great and I learned so much just from you telling your story and I appreciate you coming on
2: well thanks for having me it was a fun time Um, thanks for the sick invite Kayla and Ricky Yeah. All right, that was awesome.